You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents network of podcasts. Mike Greenberg is the author of the New York Times bestselling novel, All You Could Ask For, which the Associated Press said, celebrates women and the bonds that tie them together. And his new novel, My Father's Wives, is a story of one man's search to understand himself, his marriage, and his father. Mike is also the co-host of ESPN's Mike and Mike, the highest rated sports talk program in the United States. He spoke with me in his ESPN office in Bristol, Connecticut. So what time does your alarm go off every morning? My alarm goes off a little before four every morning, um, which uh, people ask all the time. We've now been doing this show for 15 years. Do you ever get used to that? And the answer is definitively no. People then also ask what the hardest part of my day is, and I always say the first five minutes. Once you get going, you get up, you get in the shower, you get yourself moving a little bit, it feels like a normal life. But those first five minutes when that alarm goes off are very, very tough. So it sort of begs the question, I I know that when you wrote your first book, you had to answer it repeatedly, sort of why you embarked on this very challenging uh, endeavor to write a book of fiction featuring women for women, and I know that you had a very specific answer, which I'll ask you to share one more time, as to, as to why you wrote that first book. The first book was written in memory of and was inspired by my friend Heidi Armitage, who is one of my wife's best friends, who at the age of 43 was diagnosed with breast cancer and um, died after a, only about a six-month battle with it. It was horrific, leaving behind two kids who at the time were nine and six. But what really, the book was not, is not Heidi's story. The book was really inspired by three women that I call Heidi's angels with no celestial connotation whatsoever. I I named them after Charlie's angels and Heidi loved it. And one of them is my wife, Stacy. And one of them is another very well-known novelist, far better known than me, um, Jane Green, who is a neighbor and a friend. And the third is another friend, a woman named Wendy Gardner. And the way I saw the three of them rallying around Heidi during her illness was really what inspired me to write the book because it was about the power of friendship to lift people through their challenges, both individually and collectively, which I, I witnessed firsthand and I did my best to try and put into a book. And there wasn't any way to do it, besides, in my opinion, besides writing them in three first-person voices. So the challenge of writing them as, as in, you know, three women in first person was real, but it wasn't nearly as hard as some people have made it out to be. I mean, at the end of the day, people are people. And, um, you know, if you, outside of things like cadence and all of that, I mean, we were dealing with really big issues in the book. We were dealing with mortality and family, and and I don't think those things are gender-specific. So that part of it really wasn't as complicated as it seemed. And I had a very good support group around me of women to read with me as I was going along and tell me the places where I was getting it wrong. For example, the story I always tell is, my yoga instructor, a delightful woman named Sarah McGrath, whom I, um, I asked to read along with me as I was going, wrote me a note one time that said, Michael, no 27-year-old woman would ever use the word blouse. Um, so we took out blouse. And, and um, so those were the little things that I thought, from an authenticity standpoint, were the challenges. But they were certainly not over, on, you know, they were overcomable. 
Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, the rest of it was very personal. We, we, my wife and I uh, founded a charity in Heidi's honor. It's called Heidi's Angels. We've donated 100% of our proceeds yeah. from the book. Our first donation was $100,000. Um, and I'm hoping that there will be more and more. I mean, yeah. to this day, the book is selling. And um, if you buy it, it's called All You Could Ask For. I promise you that 100% of the author's proceeds are going to go to fighting breast cancer. That's a wonderful thing. And, and so it makes, it makes sense that you would endure the process of writing. So it almost begs the question with the second book even more. So why would you write the second one? I've, I've read that you've said that you would like to write a book a year for the rest of your life. What motivates that? I've always wanted to be a writer. My, my parents were uh, writers, travel writers. Did they uh, own a bookstore? They own. They currently own a bookstore. They, they own the Complete Traveler bookstore on the corner of 35th Street and Madison it's Avenue. It's still there. It's still there. Uh, perhaps not for much longer, um, but it is still there. So I've I was raised all of my life in and around books. My mother was a teacher. And I've always loved reading, and I've always wanted to write. From the time I was very little, I wrote, I have been writing stories and whatever it is. That's always been my primary interest. I, I love creating things. Like, I can't paint, and I can't write music, and I can't do, I, w I wish I could. I love going to muse art museums in particular, and I love the, the, the concept of there being nothing, and then, and then a person applying his or her creativity and talent to something, and then all of a sudden there is something. There is a painting, or there is a, a, a piece of music, or in, in my case, the only one that I have any even remote talent for is, is, is uh, some sort of creative writing, whether it be um, novels, as I have done in this case, or other things that I'm interested in writing. So that's always been my goal. Um, authors have always been my idols, and you know, that is what I, I would like to do with my life as I go forward. You know, um, it's not an easy way to make a living. Uh, and the radio thing is working out okay so far. So I don't see myself giving this up anytime particularly soon. But certainly as my life goes on, I, I, I plan to be writing for the rest of my life. So now, with My Father's Wives, you've switched protagonists to a male. So yeah. what, what was the thinking behind that? Well, so two thoughts on that. Um, People always, I've read many times or heard suggested that for all novelists, their first novel is at least partially autobiographical. In my case, because of the unique circumstances of All You Could Ask For that we discussed, that was not the case. Yeah. I'm not a woman. I've never had cancer. I've, none of these experiences were personal for me. So um, there's almost none of me in that book. There's a little of me in that book. One character, the, the character of Brooke, is a, is a little bit of me, but... Very little, um, obviously. So this book is much more autobiographical. The voice, which is a first-person male voice, is, is my voice. I mean, almost completely. Um, and his life is similar to mine. You know, the, the, the process of this book was 180 degrees different from the process of the first one, which is to say, in the first one, I had the idea for the story. Yeah. I wanted to do a story about three women who meet because they have been diagnosed with breast cancer, and, 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 and then I had to come up with the characters. In this one, I came up with the character. My, my lead character is a guy named Jonathan Sweetwater, and I came up with him, and then I had to write a story around him. Um, and the, the circumstances of how I came up with him were actually completely random. I was having dinner in L.A. with my brother-in-law and a friend of his, and several other people. And the friend of his said to me, my dad was married six times. Oh. And I said, really? And he said, 
yeah, for me, Mother's Day was always the most expensive day of the year. And I started to laugh, and then literally sitting there, I remember where we, I remember the, what the room looked like. I don't remember the name of the restaurant, but it was in, um, it was in Venice. And, and I, I thought to myself, well, there's, a, there's my lead character right there. Yeah. What a fascinating dynamic that is. So then I had to come up with a story around, around him. So it. that's how the book started. So your alarm goes off at 4 in the morning. You come in, you, you work a full day. How, what's the process? How do you manage to write, and how do you write? Do you come up with an idea and, and vomit out the first draft? Do you take, do you do an extensive outline? You know, what's your process? I don't outline nearly enough. I wish I did because I, I wind up wasting a lot of writing because I just sit down and start writing. Yeah. You have to have some plan, obviously. In, in both cases, I had an ending in mind. I knew where I wanted it to end. So, so long as you know where you want it to end, you, you're always, you can always be moving in that direction. But um, because I don't do a nearly good enough job, Jane, I mentioned, is my friend, yeah. Janie, and she does um, with note cards, like right. little blue cards, she does these really um, do, yeah. specific, detailed outlines. Right. And I think that that's very efficient. You know, it's a much more efficient way of doing it. I don't do that because I don't have the story nearly that well set up in my head before I begin, even the first one. So I find myself writing and writing and writing, and then I'll go back and I say, well, this really doesn't fit at all. And I've taken a bunch of stuff out. I've got a bunch of stuff set aside that I hope I can find a way to use somewhere um, because it's good stuff, but it doesn't wind up fitting into what I'm doing. So it's really probably not a good way to do it. If, If I were to advise anyone, I would say don't do it the way I'm doing it. But... I don't, I'm not organized enough in my head, at least to this point, I have not been organized enough in my head to have the, a full outline. Now, the next one I'm writing right now is, is sort of a, a little bit of a thriller, and that is much more plot-centric, yeah, so, more. so I have to be better with that. So I'm working on that. I'm trying. I'm still in the very beginning of writing it, but with both All You Can Ask For, and, and especially with this one, what really matters with the characters, you know, the story was not... The story was not complicated. It, it, it really could have gone almost anywhere. With the next one, I think the story is going to have to be much more specific, Tighter, and so yeah. I'll, I'll probably have to work on that a little more. Now, with My Father's Wives, did you have a different group of folks who were your first readers? Did you yes. have your, your three male guys? No, these were also women. Also women. Also women, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Um, because I feel confident. I have been a sports broadcaster for 25 years. I've hosted what is probably the, the, the most consumed sports talk show in America for the last 15. I think I have a pretty good sense of how to reach men. I think I have a, a and I don't mean that in any sort of, look, one of the biggest changes that has taken place in sports in the years that I've been involved is in the enormous growth of women's interest in it, yeah. both as participants and as spectators. So we have a, a significant female audience. But that does not change the fact that the overwhelming majority of my audience is male. And I think I understand, I have a very good understanding of how to reach men, of what men are interested in. I have almost no understanding of, of what women are interested in or of women at all. I, I wrote this in my first book, um, years before I wrote All You Could Ask For, I wrote a book called um, Why My Wife Thinks I'm an Idiot. And I wrote in that book, women, the more I get to know them, they become more predictable. But that does not mean they become more understandable. So, for example, while I can tell you how my wife is going to react in a given situation, for the life of me, I cannot tell you why. And that 
dynamic, I want my writing to continue to appeal to women. Just because this one is narrated in a male first person, um, it is not exclusively aimed at men at all. The first book may really have been much more aimed at women than it was aimed at men. I hope that some men read it and enjoyed it, but it was much more of a women's book. Yeah, yeah. This one, I hope, is anybody's book. I hope that men and women will equally be interested in this. There's nothing about this story that I think is specific to male or female. It happens to be narrated by a man. So I, um, I wanted to make sure that it was um, that there was a female sensibility that there was it was working with a female sensibility. Right. And I actually learned something really interesting about it. You know, the book. One of the big themes in the book is infidelity, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to give away too much about what's in the book, but what I will say is that the reaction that my three female readers had to the way I originally planned to treat the subject of infidelity took me enormously by surprise, enormously by surprise. Um, and so you changed the plot? Completely. In, in uh, well, in a big way, yes. Yeah. I certainly changed um, some things that yeah. happened. And, and yes, I'd say, in fact, I'd say I changed the ending of the book. I mean, I, I would say the entire book changed. If, if one of them had said, no, Mike, I don't find this believable, then I would have lived with that. All three of them unanimously wrote me strongly yeah. worded notes saying, Mike, I don't buy this. I do not believe that any man would do this. And it's it's the male that we're talking about okay. in the in the in this book, not the female. Um and uh, and I, I thought that was too it was too um unanimous to be a coincidence. Yeah, 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 so I had to listen. So I did. I I, I rewrote. Well, I, mean, I hadn't written it yet, but I because I, I was I give it to them as I'm going along. Really? But I completely rethought the direction and did have to do a fairly significant amount of rewriting. When do you write? When do you have the time to sit down? Um, it varies. So one of my favorite things, and I would love this to remain between us. So anyone listening to this, keep this <laughs> between us. I love people's perception of how busy I am um, because I think that's very good and I want the people that I work for to continue to think that. Um, the truth of the matter is that on a normal day, and this is certainly not every day, but on a normal day, I'm home at noon. I have time in the afternoons. So among the many things that have happened, I went from a 24 handicap to a 9 handicap playing golf, 8.6 is my index now, and I have written several books because I have time in the afternoon. Now, it takes a lot of discipline. I'm having a lot of trouble right now getting started on the next one, but I have time. So I'll go to the library. Sometimes I go to the library at my kids' school. It's a delightful place to write. Uh Um, They have a beautiful uh, library in there. It's very quiet. Um, I write better out of the house. I don't like writing in the house. There's too many distractions, too many yeah. things that can happen. Even if I'm alone, yeah. the dog needs me, the phone rings, the, yeah, you know. Yeah. So I try and get to a place that I can write that's quiet. My best work is done. I do travel for work quite a bit, and that's a really good time. In a hotel room by yourself mm-hmm. is an excellent time to write. I can try and carve out a little time. Airplanes mm-hmm. are a great time to write. And, you know, and I recently read, one of my favorite authors is Nick Hornby, and I read that he writes in spurts, and I would describe that's the way I write also. I'll sit down, and I will just fire out, like, 24 minutes of just yeah. nonstop yeah. writing, just a nonstop, and then I'm done. I'm spent. The only thing I can do the rest of the day is edit. There's no way I can write anymore. My, my brain doesn't have it. it it's, it, 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 I find it exhausting. So... I, don't, I couldn't write. If you gave me the whole day to write, yeah, no. I don't know how much more. I would write more, I guess. I'm sure I would adapt to that. But yeah. um, 
it works. It's unusual to be able to sustain that. Yeah, like I read an interview, John Irving is my all-time favorite author, and, and I think one of the great geniuses, and, and, and frankly as successful as he's been, I think thoroughly underappreciated as, as a novelist and as a, Artist, as a yeah. genius. Yeah. Um, but I read that he, he approaches writing the same way he did wrestling, that it's constant training, that he's, he writes like eight hours a day. And that's how you, in his mind, you get better at writing, but through practice, like because like, he was, you know, was and remains very connected to wrestling, and he sort of uh, compared it to that. That I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine that. You know, I, I know I couldn't do it. So I write in little short half-hour bursts, and um, you know, and it takes me a long time. I mean, I just don't have the time. I, it, it isn't my full-time job. It isn't my first job. So you know, all you could ask for probably soup to nuts took me. A year and a half to write, mm-hmm. um, not constantly because I had to put it down a couple of different times and, and work on other things. And then my father's wives probably took me a year. Now, are there are there things in your day job, speaking with people that are at the high level of their profession in the sports world, that inform and serve your work as a novelist? It's an interesting question. Um, you know, there are things about my day job having less to do with the people that I interview than having learned through many years of this. I've learned a lot of lessons that I think help. Like, my uh, broadcasting is very much about process. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't sit down at the beginning of a show and say, four hours from now, here's what we're going to have done. You have to start at the beginning, and you have to work your way all the way through it. Probably don't do as good a job of, as I should of planning those out either. <laughs> Um, but I've learned a lot about the process, you know, and, and I guess maybe this is a good lesson from sports because you hear coaches talk about this all the time. Don't focus on the result, focus on the process. Focus on what you can do today. You know, a football team, they play on Sunday, but the coaches always say, you know, it begins on Monday. It begins with practice. It begins with the preparation. It begins with studying the film. It begins with getting the game plan together, and I think that's sort of what the process is of writing a book. It begins with the process, And, and, and if you take care of the process along the way, then in the end, hopefully you have a result that you're happy with. Yeah, you sort of build that muscle memory in the same way. Yeah, it can't be about result. You can't be result-oriented. Right. Like golf, too. I'm, I love golf, and I, I, I can relate almost anything to golf. Um, and and, and what I, I've worked like crazy with my golf pro, and, and one of the things he tells me all the time is, you can't be thinking about your score. You have to be thinking about your shot, yeah. and, and that's the difference. That's the challenge, isn't it? That's the hard part. It's very hard. I've, I've read many books about golf, <laughs> And uh, I can tell you a quick golf story on the, if you're interested. Yeah. So I love Dr. Bob Rotella. He's the, the golf psychologist, and he writes fabulous books. His most famous one is called Golf is Not a Game of Perfect, which I, I would describe as one of the five best books ever written. Okay. Um, That's one of my questions. It's so a great book. Go. And um, he tells a story about process. So he tells a story about how he was giving a, a lecture to golf pros and telling them all about how um, important it is to focus on the moment and to stay in the moment and stay on the shot and not think about the result and not think about your score and not think about later. And, and some pros said, well, what's so hard about that? And he said, he tells a story about it. He said, well, let me ask you a question. Let's say Cindy Crawford walked up to you and said, I'm going to come meet you in your hotel room tonight at 730. And we can do absolutely anything you want, and there will be no consequences, and this is going to be the dream of your life. And the only stipulation is between now and then you cannot think about this at all you wouldn't be able to do it and that's it if you if you have a goal if you have a burning desire to achieve something it's almost impossible not to focus on that not to think about it and you have to train your mind 
not to think about that and just to think about the process. Today, I'm going to write for a half hour. Right. You know, not, I can't wait till they call me and tell me it made the list or right. not, I'm, yeah. you know, going on Seth Meyers or not, yeah. you know, whatever it is. It's, it's got to be about, I'm going to sit down and write today for a half hour. All right, now I want to talk to you as, as a reader. What was the last book that you read and talked about with a friend? Uh, Big Little Lies. Which is um, Leanne Moriarty, or is it Leanne? I don't know how yeah, you pronounce yeah, yeah, yeah. it. She, she's Australian. Uh-huh. And my wife and I have our own book club, just the two of us. Uh-huh. And um, we decided we're going to just pick out a book and we're going to buy it and we're going to read it. And we were looking on the times list. We didn't have anything. The first book we read as our book club was, was Janie's book, which okay. was fantastic, Tempting Fate. Could not recommend it more highly. A couple of great twists. Um, that was last year. And then... The most recent one we read was Big Little Lies. Just finished it uh, recently. Um, we just went on the list, looked at the book, the, t- the yeah. books that are on the and Times list, picked out the little plot synopsis that sounded the most interesting, and I loved it. I thought it was just terrific. Well, what are your Desert Island books, if you had two or three? That I've never read? No, that you would take with you if should you find yourself on a desert island. And I'm never getting off? Yeah, you're never getting off. Only them. two or three? Yeah, you get two or three. You have to narrow it down. Garp, one of them. Yeah, I would have to pick one of the Irvings. And you couldn't go wrong with any yeah. of those, in my opinion. If I had to pick just one, I'd probably pick The World According to Garp, but I would be very tempted to pick The Cider House Rules, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is one of the few books that ever made me cry. I actually cried reading The Cider House Rules. Um, so I, 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 I would pick one of his new book, and that is one of the great... Yeah honors. I mean, that guy to me is a genius. I loved his first book. His first book, which is called Plan B, he's just so much of a better writer now than he was then, but you can see the makings of the brilliant writer that he is. That that dude is a genius. And then if you let me have one more, you know, it's so hard to say because are you going to go with classics or are you going to go with more, you know, recent stuff? I mean, I love Nick Hornby. I mean, you know, I would take one of his books a long way down. The, 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 the structure of A Long Way Down was really where I got the idea to do All You Could Ask For. Yeah, Having agreed. four, in his case it was four, mine was yeah. three, different voices, two of whom were women in that book too. Right. He wrote yep, them as yep. women before I did. Um, and, and just have the story told you know, by these four voices. I mean, those are the ones that jump immediately to mind. Yeah, I mean, I, and with that, I thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm Ana Maria Alessi, and this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents, and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.